Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen, who both awoke to the news that uh, Carlos Correa had changed teams. Yeah. What a <laughs> shocker. I, I mean, we saw the news yesterday about the issues with the physical I didn't think that that would mean he would change teams. Yeah. I, I thought it was just like a weird holdup that they would be like, ah, we'll figure this out. At the time of this recording, we don't know a whole lot other than no. there was some kind of issue within Carlos Correa's uh, medical evaluation with the Giants. Yeah. That caused a temporary hold on the introductory press conference. And then at, what, 4 or 5 a.m. this morning? Yeah. Steve Cohen and the Mets jumped He's in He's just on the Mets now, <laughs> which is... Ridiculous. Yeah. I, I want to know, I'm sure a lot of this we'll find out about in the coming days, what was flagged. First off, he still has to pass his Mets physical. I mean, well, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. Well, do the Mets care is the thing. I, I mean, you would have if to it's think. it's a big enough issue, they would care. But you would have to think that he is probably going to the Mets with both Boris and the Mets being aware of what the issue was with the physical with the Giants. Right. And you would have to imagine that they have agreed to this contract, which was fewer years, less money yep. than the contract with the Giants, you would have to imagine that they said, like, don't worry about it. Well, maybe. I mean, we don't know. You would have to imagine a lot of stuff. You would have to imagine that the Giants would be confident in a clean bill of health before they signed him. And yet yeah. something came up. Fascinating stuff. I don't want to get too much into that because I, I'm waiting to find out the more, more information that right. might change our opinions on that craziness but that doesn't change the fact that he has still been eliminated from our free agency bracket <laughs> yes he was just with a different team didn't have time to unsmudge him from he was always eliminated bracket. from the free, free agency yeah, bracket this is true he did he did go one round uh but was eliminated then and now we yeah. have officially smudged him out we also have unsmudged brendan eric hosmer unsmudge been uh non not non-tendered he has been released dfa'd designated for assignment by the Boston Red Sox. So he has been restored onto the bracket. I will discuss that later on in the podcast as uh, I went, uh, I got roasted by the internet. Sure did. Collectively for suggesting. He and might, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. You defended me. I did. I did. Well, because I felt bad after like 50 comments and I was like, All right, I got a I'm, I'm going to hop in here. I got a pity reply. You sure said, did. Wow. But you agreed with me. I do, but it's way funnier right. to just look at, the fire happening to just make fun of me exactly right. uh so eric hosmer is back a uh, couple other updates on that free agency bracket brendan uh michael brantley has been eliminated going back to houston on smudged a, on a one-year 12 million dollar deal it's literally the tool i use in photoshop is called the smudge tool yeah well so he's been smudged he's <laughs> he has been smudged uh omar narvaez who we looked at as a potential backup catcher smudge him Ruch <laughs> adley rutchman has been smudged he signs with the mets because uh, who hasn't signed with the Mets. Uh, Austin Hedges signs with the Pirates, one year, five million. You know, we talked about Roberto Perez, who was a Pirate last year, 
He's in our free agency bracket. Maybe Austin Hedges going to the Pirates opens up uh, Roberto Perez to sign with another team. But for clarification, Austin Hedges has been smudged. Hedges has been smudged. You just wanted to say smudged. Roberto Perez, unsmudged. Unsmudged. Uh, This guy is not on our free agency bracket, but Drew Smiley, veteran lefty, going back to the Chicago Cubs. Neither smudged nor unsmudged. No. How some weird middle ground there? I don't know. It Schrodinger's smudge. <laughs> uh, Andrew Benintendi not on our bracket, but he went to the Chicago White Sox on a five-year, seventy-five million dollar deal. Jordan Lyles not on our bracket. However, the Orioles' twenty twenty-two veteran starting pitcher signs with the Kansas City Royals on a two-year, seventeen million dollar deal. Almost exactly what he would have gotten between 2022 and 2023 had the Orioles picked up his option. Yeah. So that worked out for Jordan Lyles. Yeah, that one season with the Orioles, even though he didn't get his option picked up, he ended up with a two-year $17 million deal. Yeah, and you'd have to imagine he's probably going to play a very similar role in Kansas City that he played in Baltimore, yeah. which is just back end of the rotation guy, not expecting a lot of wins in the win-loss column, eat innings, be a good veteran leader on a pitching rotation that includes some younger guys like Brady Singer. It's a rotation with some promise there, and I think Jordan Lyles, again, just brings a very similar veteran presence to that team. And I had thought maybe there was a chance that the Orioles might re-sign him, only as the offseason continued to go along and the Orioles continued to not fill their starting pitcher hole, which they still haven't really done. They added Kyle Gibson on that $10 million deal, but to me, the Gibson signing made it less likely that Jordan Lyles would return. Because yeah, Lyles, I thought there was too much overlap. Lyles wouldn't have made sense. Right. Right now, if you're the Orioles, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this probably a little bit more as we talk about, you know, pitchers and things like that. But you don't need to bring in another back end of the rotation arm. No. You just don't. You have a lot of those guys right now. And you don't need another innings eater. No. that's what Gibson is going to hopefully provide. Yeah, Kyle Gibson best projects as a number four, number five starter who is giving you a little bit higher upside than Jordan Lyles gave you. Yeah. That's that's the reason that you bring in Kyle Gibson rather than just picking up that option on Jordan Lyles. So, I th- yeah, I think we're going to talk about some of the other guys that might fit the higher end of the rotation guys right. in free agency. There are still a couple guys out there right now. I think Michael Waka we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. But, Brendan, let's talk about the return of Michael Givens. Yeah. Who, as everyone expected. As everyone expected. This was a hole we were not expecting the Orioles to fill. Because the rota- because the rotation we saw is the bigger issue, we saw the bullpen as a group that overperformed in 2022, but was still really good. Still had a lot of pieces. You're still bringing back just about every member of that bullpen. Nobody really hit free agency. Nobody was dealt away. We didn't think the Orioles would commit a whole lot of dollars in free agency, if any to the bullpen, but they went out and they brought back a familiar face in Michael Gibbons. Well, first and foremost, I think it is nice that the Orioles in their last two signings have brought on players that didn't even really fill a massive need. Adam Frazier, not that it's a luxury signing to bring in Adam Frazier or Michael Gibbons, but second base wasn't a glaring need for the Orioles. You saw a pathway where they could start some sort of combination of Ramona Rios, Taryn Vavra, maybe Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, and they would have been fine at second base. But they saw an opportunity to upgrade, even though it wasn't a glaring need, 
and they did so in Adam Frazier, and I think this is a very similar signing with Michael Givens. As you mentioned, they didn't need to sign somebody in the bullpen. You could have gone into next season and been confident in Cianal Perez, Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, 7th, 8th, and ninth innings, and felt pretty good about that. But as you mentioned, the bullpen really overperformed last year. Yeah. And bullpen arms are so volatile. We don't know what they're going to do from year to year. And Michael Givens enters this Orioles bullpen with, I think, pretty far and away, the best track record of anybody in this bullpen. Yeah. We'll talk about where he fits in just a bit, but what the Orioles are getting in Givens, they're getting a guy who spent the majority of his career in an Orioles jersey. He was a 2009 second-round pick. Originally, remember, a shortstop out of coming out of a Florida high school, and then he was converted to become a, a reliever and has been there since 2013 in that role and really rose up through the Orioles' ranks pretty quickly in that role. Then has the worst season of his career in the season that the Orioles needed him the most, which was 2019, has an ERA around 480, and then in the following season, bounces back in 2020 for a short stint, and then the Orioles are able to trade him at the deadline and get back Tyler Nevin and Taryn Vavra. And uh, at that time, Michael Elias said, Michael Givens is an Oriole for life. And that was kind of... Astonishing, oh, yeah. Well, not astonishing, but surprising, certainly. Well, look, you just don't normally say that about a bullpen arm who had spent six seasons in the majors. Yeah. It, not, there was well, nothing against Michael Givens, but like that's no. the kind of thing you say about a player who's been like there for 15 years and never missed a game, and you're like, he's an Oriole for life. Or, and it's like, well, he, he, he was a fine bullpen arm. Yeah, or Zach Britton, who, yeah. who was on some... Good, very good Orioles teams and played a key role in those Yeah, it was like teams. a Cy Young candidate. And, yeah. yeah, or even Darren O'Day, who played a key role in some very good Orioles teams. Michael Gibbons just never had that. I right. mean, he was a good re- reliever for the first couple years of his career, but that was 20, you know, he made his debut, I believe, in 2015. So he was really never on too many good Orioles teams. He never played a key role on those Orioles teams. And the more the Orioles would use him in higher and higher leverage situations, the less effective he would be he was used mostly as a sixth and seventh maybe eighth inning guys when he was effective when the Orioles ran into trouble with Michael Givens is when they used him to close out games and it's pretty clear at this point in his career that he is not a closer and he hasn't been for the years that he's been away from the Orioles with the Cubs and the Mets last year he had a 3-3-8 ERA he had 10.4 Ks per nine he struggled with the Mets down the stretch in 19 appearances, 4-7-9, but still that's a, a pretty small sample size. He is not going to induce a ton of strikeouts per, for a reliever. I mean, 10.4 is good, but for a reliever, you know, you're usually looking maybe for a 12 or 13 if you're going to commit that much. But the Orioles are just giving him $3 million in 2023. There's a mutual option for 2024, which if they both pick it up is for $6 million. So if both sides pick up the 2024 option, it's a two-year, $9 million deal. Now, if Michael Gibbons declines that option, it's a $1 million buyout, so that's just $4 million. And if the Orioles decline that option, it's for $2 million. So it's either, (laughs) it's a little confusing, but it's either going to be a one-year $4 million contract, a one-year $5 million contract, or a two-year $9 million contract. Yeah, slightly weird. (laughs) But I think... Any way you slice it, it's a pretty affordable deal 
for somebody with a really good track record, has had an ERA in the mid to low threes over the last two seasons. And again, I know he struggled in that ninth inning role in Baltimore, but you're not going to ask him to do that because hopefully Felix Bautista is going to continue the stretch of really good pitching that we saw from him last season. And Michael Givens just gets added to the seventh, eighth inning rotation with CNL Perez and Dylan Tate. Because you don't know if CNL Perez is going to continue what he did last year. You're hoping that Dylan Tate, with a little bit of a longer track record, is going to continue that success. But you just really don't know. There's a lot of bullpen arms that have not shown you multiple years of success. I think that's pretty much all of the bullpen arms outside of maybe Dylan Tate, if you want to argue that he's had some good seasons before last year. You can make that case. But Felix Bautista, CNL Perez, Brian Baker, a lot of these guys have only had really like one good season. Yeah. And that's hard to bank on when you're hoping to make a playoff push. Yeah, I mean, Jorge Lopez was the most experienced, really, member of that bullpen to start right. the year. And he had never been a reliever in his career. That was a recent conversion. And we saw the effect that Jorge Lopez's removal from that bullpen had down the stretch because those guys were stretched a lot thinner than they were the first half of the season. They were thrown into a lot more higher leverage situations, and they performed admirably in a lot of cases. I think Bautista is probably the best example of a guy who really rose to the moment. But the Orioles asked more than they probably reasonably could have from a lot of these guys. Yeah, Baker and Perez being waiver claims, Bautista being... Somebody who started in A-ball, started the 2021 season in A-ball and rose all the way up to be protected from the 40-man roster. They got way more out of that bullpen than they were expecting and they could have reasonably asked for yeah. last year. And adding a veteran presence to that bullpen stabilizes it somewhat and it solidifies it somewhat. At the very least, it's I'm going to say what I said for the Adam Frazier signing, it's depth. Injuries happened. Not only did this bullpen overperform, they were very healthy for the majority of the season. Very few guys went down with injuries. If somebody in that bullpen goes down with a serious injury, the Orioles would be kind of screwed. They would need to scrounge around and find some guys off the scrap heap, make some waiver claims, maybe make some trades here and there. You don't want to be in that position when you're competing in the American League East. So this, at the very least, gives them depth. And I think... The signing of Gibbons, while it may not be the highest upside reliever out there in the market, I think you know what you're getting in Michael Gibbons at this point in his career, and I think that's very valuable in this Orioles bullpen. Yeah, and there's a reason that Michael Gibbons has been traded multiple times in his career now at the trade deadline. Yeah. Other teams around the league also view Michael Gibbons as a valuable bullpen arm, and so it makes sense that the Orioles would as well. He is going to give you more than likely an ERA around 330 and around 10 strikeouts per nine. That's really valuable to have in the bullpen, even if he's not your closer. That's a really solid seventh or eighth inning setup. Man. And I saw some tweets that said, well, the Orioles already are set on righties in the bullpen. Whose innings would he take up at that point? Joey Crable? I mean, Crable was, again, one of the guys that overperformed expectations. But we thought all last offseason, Joey Crable could be a 40-man roster casualty. Yeah. He performed very well for the first half of the season. And then since August 17th onward, he had a 7.71 ERA. And at the very end of September, got optioned back down to AAA. And I know there's a lot of good bullpen arms, but like really think about the guys that the Orioles had to throw in the bullpen yes. towards the back end of last year. Like You have to have depth, like you said, at the very least. 
Like, I mean, they were throwing guys like Logan Glassby last year. They were throwing Joey Crable a lot last year. There were a lot of bullpen arms that you probably forgot about in the back end of the year. I mean, Jake Reed got a lot of innings last year. Like, if you're wondering what innings he's going to take, he's not going to take away innings from Dylan Tate or CNL Perez. They're still going to get theirs. But instead of maybe turning to Jake Reed a lot towards the end of the season, the Orioles are just adding another good bullpen arm in Michael Givens, who is going to give you probably a lot better numbers than whatever combination of Jake Reed, Travis Lakins, Joey Crable, and Logan Gillespie would have. I'm glad you brought that up, Brendan, because I looked into exactly what kind of numbers that combination produced. Look at this. The Orioles used 35 pitchers last year. I think if you were to ask Brandon Hyde, Honestly, if he would like to use 35 pitchers this year, I think he'd no. say, heck no. I think he would like to use a lot fewer than that, maybe 10 fewer pitchers yeah. than that. Logan Allen, Cody Sedlock, Alex Wells, Yenier Cano, Lewis Head, Chris Ellis, Denji Reyes, Rico Garcia, Jake Reed, Marcos Duplan, Bo, Bo Solcer, Travis Lakin Sr., and Zach Lowther. 13 pitchers, is that how many I just named? Yeah, that's probably a lot of pitchers that you don't ideally want to use. Those pitchers combined for 77 and a third innings in 2022. They allowed 56 runs in those 77 and a third innings. That's a 6.52 ERA. You soak up 61 and a third of those innings, and you give those to Michael Gibbons, who pitched 61 and a third innings last year for a 3.38 ERA and you extrapolate his ERA out over those 61 and a third innings. Extrapolate? Yep. That removes 21 runs from the Orioles' run differential. And they're in the playoffs, and they've won the World Series. They would go from finishing 11th best in team ERA, sorry, 16th best in team ERA to 11th best. And then they win the World Series with Michael Giffen. Now, I know that that's not... Exactly how things work. Not all innings are created equal. And a lot of those innings that Jake Reed and Bo Solcer and Denji Reyes and Rico Garcia were low leverage situations in innings. Yeah. But if you put Michael Gibbons in those high leverage situations, that frees up a Joey Crable, frees up some of the, the other pitchers that they have been using in those high leverage situations to then be used in lower leverage situations. It is has a top-down domino effect. All to say, it makes it a lot better. Yeah, Michael Gibbons makes this team a lot better if he gives you what he gave you for the previous three or four years. And I think in conjunction with what you were saying there in terms of the bullpen arms that we saw last year, hopefully a lot of those innings too are going to go to some younger guys like Nick Vespi. Maybe we see Noah DeNoyer a good amount. So who knows where those innings actually go if Michael Givens would eat up all 60 of them. But the fact of the matter is that Michael Givens is a good bullpen arm and you just added a good player. There's there's literally no downside. He is a good pitcher who joins a good bullpen. By the way, the word is extrapolate, not extrapolate, as what? one of our commenters thought I said. <laughs> Using big words like ex- extrapolate. It's extrapolate. Yeah. Brendan, that... <laughs> All to say that Michael Gibbons makes this bullpen a whole lot better. And I agree with your comment earlier about the fact that the Orioles are committing more money to positions that they have not made a clear priority and have not made it clear that those are priorities. So to me, that says that they could still go out and sign a starting pitcher. There are a couple still left on the market as well. Michael Waka, 
We talked about him briefly on our last podcast, on our Adam Frazier podcast. He was connected to the Orioles via John Morosi of MLB Network. We talked about him being a by-high candidate. Yeah. 31 years old, coming off a season in which he had a 3-3-2 ERA for the Boston Red Sox. I think there's some good and there's some bad with Michael Waka in his recent track record. It's a by-high. We've talked about this with other organizations like the we keep dragging the Angels on this podcast, but we're going to do it again in terms of how they've been buying high in free agency. You buy off of a year or two of success rather than somebody's track record or like the Orioles have been doing occasionally, which is a kind of a buy low. Like we saw with Adam Frazier anticipating a bounce back and getting him for a little bit fewer dollar amount than he would have gotten him before. Michael Waka, as you mentioned, 332 ERA in 23 games last year. He went 11-2. and two. That's really good. You know what's not really good <laughs> is his 462 ERA in the six seasons prior. He Maybe he figured something out. And if he signs with the Orioles, I'm sure that we will be able to do a little bit of a deeper dive into his season last year. See what's changed. See what's different with his approach. He has struggled with injuries throughout his career. Maybe last year was finally the season when things just clicked, and this is the pitcher who he is going to be for the next five, six years of his career. But the track record before last year is not good, unless you look at his first, what, two or three years of his career in St. Louis, where he was excellent. Yeah. The weird thing is his strikeout rate went down last year. Usually that would indicate that he has a higher ERA, but... Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer. True. His FIP and his WHIP both went down last year because he improved his home run rate. I mean, I, I think that we would have to look exactly at what he used effectively. He used his fastball a whole lot less last year than he had in previous years because his fastball velocity went down a tick, went down to like 93. So maybe the Orioles can unlock something in there. And look, every team is has access to this kind of information Maybe he isn't a buy-high candidate only because teams aren't fooled by that 3-3-2 ERA. Maybe there are teams out there that say, we don't believe that. You know, We're not going to give you a contract worthy of that because we know that you pitched a lot worse than that. Yeah, I think he upgrades the starting rotation. It's just not really a front-end starter if you're signing Michael Waka. I think he, he profiles more as a 3 in this Orioles rotation to start the year, maybe? Yeah, but there's a lot of threes there in are. this rotation right now. There I think are. you could look at Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, maybe even Grayson Rodriguez, and say, yeah, they're number three, number four starter right now. Obviously, Grayson Rodriguez with very high upside, and John Means hopefully getting back at some point in the middle of the season. He's a number one, number two guy. But Waka is just like a number three. Yeah. Which isn't bad. It's just not a huge upgrade. Now, Brendan, where would 43-year-old Rich Hill fit into this Orioles rotation? He was connected to the Orioles. Don't via, ask me these kinds of questions, Paul. <laughs> via Rob Bradford on Twitter. Don't quite know who that is. One-time Oriole. Some forget. 2009. He 1972. Pitched. He pitched 37 games <laughs> in Baltimore. Yep. And he had a 780 ERA in that one season. Yep. That was his age 29 season. And then he went home, threw in a movie in the, in the VCR, and he called it a day. Yeah. I was going to say went home on his, on his horse and buggy. and. <laughs> He has pitched 18 seasons with 11 different teams. He signed a one-year $5 million deal with Boston last offseason. Now, look, between 2016 and 2021, between Oakland, 
the Dodgers, the Twins, the Rays, and the Mets, five different organizations, he was good. Yeah. He had a 3-3-2 ERA in 123 games. Last year, in his age 42 season, he had a 4-2-7 ERA, 1.3 whip in 26 starts. He's still pumping out 25, 26 starts a year at 43. God bless him. <laughs> he would be the oldest person ever he would be the oldest person ever he would be the oldest person to don an orioles jersey ever since the (laughs) franchise moved to baltimore in 1954 he's got to have that record for like every single team that he has pitched at this point probably two or three years Uh, jamie moyer probably owns the other half Uh, well look he had an era under four every season before this one since 2014 but again Rich Hill does not profile as a number one, number two starter in your rotation. He doesn't even really profile as a number four, number five starter in your rotation because, again, he is 67 years old. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to get terribly excited about Rich Hill. He has put up decent numbers. I mean, talk about a veteran presence in Rich Hill. <laughs> I can keep making jokes. I can. <laughs> He's, he wasn't very good last year. Maybe father time is... Finally saying, hey, Rich Hill, I, I think you've had enough seasons. Here. I don't think he's going to pick up the phone, though, when Father Time gives him that call. He might I not. Think he's going to keep pitching until he can't, until his arm falls off. And credit to him. Yeah. I mean, that 4-2-70 ERA he had last year isn't horrific. No. As Geno Smith said, he ain't right back. He ain't right back. No. So that's another one of the options that the Orioles have. Nathan Avaldi, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Man, if is, Rich Hill signs with the Orioles, we are going to have to I'm apologize. gonna have to backpedal on these jokes. We're gonna have to bring him into the studio. He's and still been good, which is the fun. You can make all the Rich Hill jokes no, exactly. you want. But again, every season since twenty fourteen, before last year, he had an ERA under four, yeah. which is good. Yeah, exactly. He would provide something. Yeah. Again, it he would be a solid piece to add to the rotation. He is just not the piece that we have talked about on this podcast as a potential number one through number three starter. He's not a high-end guy. You know exactly what Rich Hill would be giving you. Somebody asking who will the Orioles sign for backup catcher. We do have six guys left in that free agency bracket. And I mentioned it very briefly on our last podcast, but Jorge Alfaro, I think, is a fascinating candidate. Yeah. After the Padres just made an addition at catcher. So he's maybe- a fast candidate he's Jorge Alfaro was really fast that was good that was the joke thank you uh he is probably a better hitter than he is defensive catcher uh but for what the Orioles need maybe not the worst thing in the world right-handed hitter so you know probably could be a good platoon for with Adley there yeah I still think we're kind of looking at Kurt Casale Gary Sanchez maybe Sandy Leone right that kind of player exactly all right uh Let's talk about Jorge Mateo because his name was brought up by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic in an article recently, and the quote is, the Orioles, according to Major League sources, began receiving inquiries on shortstop Jorge Mateo almost immediately after the Cubs reached an agreement with Dansby Swanson. He went on to say, the O's also have three middle infield prospects at AAA in Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, and Connor Norby. The team is bound to move some of its infielders eventually. Brendan, that raised some eyebrows because the Orioles, from what we've heard from Mike Elias, appear to like what they have in Jorge Mateo. And a lot of what they've done this offseason has been because they like Jorge Mateo. They're not going out there 
and making big offers for Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson and Trey Turner in part because they appear to be ready to go into next year with Jorge Mateo. But this changes things. My question, though, like, is it, though? Is, is Jorge Mateo the reason why? Not the only reason. Right. I don't think that Jorge Mateo is the reason that they haven't been going after Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, whoever it may be. I think two things can be true. I think the first thing is that they are comfortable with Jorge Mateo as their shortstop for the 2023 season. And I think the second thing that is probably true is that the Orioles recognize that whatever Jorge Mateo's ceiling might be, the bat has to get a heck of a lot better for that ceiling to be pretty high. We know what Jorge Mateo gives you defensively, which is excellent, and we know what he gives you athletically on the base paths, just his pure speed. It is game-changing speed. When Jorge Mateo is on the base paths, he is turning doubles into triples. He is stealing bases. He is doing some great things for your baseball team. But Jorge Mateo, as it currently stands, is going to be your ninth hitter because the bat is just really not there. We saw some strides last year. We saw some improvements. So I think it's entirely possible that you can be comfortable with Jorge Mateo in the short term, but probably the more likely reason that they are not going after Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, those types of players is because they're probably also pretty comfortable with shifting Gunnar Henderson over to shortstop or putting Jordan Westberg there, putting Joey Ortiz there, putting Gunnar Henderson at short and having Kobe Mayo play third base in a few years. There's a lot of possibilities with the infield that don't necessarily need to include a Carlos Correa type of player because you have those options internally, even if it's not Mateo. Right. Mateo is one reason. He's not the only reason, as right. you said. And the overall depth of the organization at the middle infield is the main reason that they haven't been going out. Yeah, and I didn't guys. even mention Jackson Holiday, right. who could be up in the majors in two or three years. So, Mateo being your nine-hole hitter, I think, is okay if one through eight is really good. Yeah, And right absolutely. now, on the Orioles, one through eight is not world-beating. One through eight is, they have a solid one through eight, but the problem is, they don't have enough offense around Mateo to make up for Mateo's current lack of offense. And I think yeah. that might be why the Orioles are perhaps looking into, or at least according to Ken Rosenthal, receiving inquiries on Mateo. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. At no point in that report did Ken Rosenthal say the Orioles are actively shopping Jorge Mateo. No. All he said is that they've been receiving inquiries on Jorge Mateo, which just means teams around the league are interested in him. Yeah. I, I think that the Orioles still want to see what the combination of Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby can be before yeah. they make a move like that. It's not a necessary move. No. I think if there is a trade that makes sense for Jorge Mateo, then you should go for it. But it's not a move that you need to make. I no. don't think you need to clear out Jorge Mateo to make space for somebody like Jordan Westberg. No. It, it is certainly not at that point. Jorge Mateo is a good young player that can stay on this team over the next few years if he continues to develop and the bat comes along. He's a very valuable piece to have. The Orioles don't need to move him. Yeah, and to me, the only kind of move that would make sense would be for a proven big leaguer. Yeah. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense 
to me to trade Jorge Mateo for more prospects. I agree. Especially position player prospects. I mean, maybe you could try to convince me on them getting more pitching prospects because this team still needs pitching in their minor league system. But that would be one step forward, one step back. And you have to be really confident in what you have in Westberg and Norby and Ortiz before you make a move like that. It's the same reason that we said the Orioles were right to sign somebody like Adam Frazier. Because if you go into next year with Jordan Westberg as your opening day second baseman, he better be ready to take that and run with it. Now, he yeah. may be, but again, he's, he's the 76th best prospect in baseball according to MLB Pipeline. He's not projected to be the superstar that Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson was. So the Orioles don't have the same kind of expectations of that group, of Ortiz and Westberg and Norby, that they did of Henderson and Rutschman. I'm going to throw out a name that has been commented on our YouTube as well, and somebody on YouTube is aware of the trade that I was thinking of. Max Kepler, outfielder in Minnesota, who has had his name tossed around in trade discussions all offseason long. The Twins just lost Carlos Correa, and they have a need at shortstop. Max Kepler is a left-handed hitting, powerful right fielder who plays really good defense, had a war of 2.1 last year despite a down season defensively, has an OPS below 700 for last year. It was at 666, so you'd been be buying him a little bit low, but he has had... Some excellent seasons in the past. In 2019, he had a 36 home run season. So a power-hitting, left-handed, great defensive right fielder who has been made available in trade talks, at least that is the rumor, for a team that is in need of a shortstop because they just lost Carlos Correa. I think that's the type of trade that would make a lot of sense if you're the Orioles. Well, if you're looking at our Facebook oh live video or our YouTube live, which you should be doing every Wednesday at 11 a.m., you'll see in the middle of our podcast set here a jar Ooh. with a bunch of team names in that. And eventually, at the end of this podcast, Brendan, we will pick teams out of that jar yeah. to propose trades. Maybe with. one of us will pick the Twins. Maybe one of us will. But the point there being, I'm not trading Jorge Mateo for prospects. Yeah. that I don't think that makes sense, given where the team is. And I just I don't want to. If, don't trade him for prospects. But if you can get a good player like Max Kepler, that's a trade that would make sense. If you were to trade Jorge Mateo for prospects, no real big leaguers, you'd be looking at an infield of probably Gunnar Henderson at short, Ramon Arias at third, Adam Frazier, I think, would be your opening day second baseman. Yep. That puts Anthony Santander in right. And then Kyle Stowers maybe is your DH, which you can do it. But you're stretching yourself a little thin, and you're asking a lot of Kyle Stowers Yeah, in that instance. And you're also asking even more of Westberg and Ortiz and Norby, that combination. Yeah, I think it would just really depend on what player you'd be getting in return for Mateo. Because yeah. trading him for prospects at this point does not make sense given where the team is. All right, Brendan, are we ready for the Eric Hosmer conversation? <laughs> oh, I'm ready for the Eric Hosmer are conversation. Are we ready for this? I'm ready. So, let's give a little backstory to this. Yeah. Eric Hosmer was DFA'd <laughs> by the Boston Red Sox. He was on our free agency bracket back when the Red Sox had yet to pick up his team option. I tweeted out what I thought was innocuous, what I thought was... We tweet stuff like this all the time. Unobtrusive. I thought it was, it was really... Yeah. I tweeted, would be a great fit in Baltimore. Brendan, I don't think it's a true ratio because I still have more likes 
than I do oh, replies. Oh, no, it's a ratio. Doesn't ratio have to be more replies than likes? The ratio is the vibe. We, <laughs> we know what the vibe is, and the vibe is that you got ratioed massively. One of those, and some of those, might I add, were mean. Were mean. And also, funny. No, and I laughed. Not, not what I was going to say. Oh, well, I laughed at the mean ones. Supporting me. For example, your tweet was supporting me. The, the pity tweet that I, no, I tweeted. Yes. You agreed with me. I did. But it was funnier to be silent and watch what was happening on Twitter.com. I don't quite understand why that was the one that got Orioles fans so riled up. Jimmy Seafood tweeted at me. Yeah. Uh, every corner of Orioles Twitter decided to come out and, and just... World War Z zombie climb my Twitter walls in yeah. dimensions. Look, you got you got ratioed. Okay? okay, I mean your quote tweets were doing numbers, your comments were doing numbers. It it was not pretty. Somebody said Paul Mancano stocks just crashing right now. <laughs> they, <laughs> they tell you they crashed and burned for a good take. <laughs> I mean, yeah, which is thank you, hilarious to me. Let me explain why this is a good take. <laughs> Because I don't fully understand why everybody hates Eric Hosmer. We'll get into it in just a bit. You gave no context in your tweet. It's really your own fault. Apparently, I thought that I had to give a ton of context. Yeah. I. Okay, Here, here's the deal, Brendan. <laughs> I'll give context right now. Yeah, please do. And please re- comment on YouTube and on Facebook and let me know exactly why I'm wrong. And please I find Paul's tweet and continue to ratio it because it does make me laugh and it brings me joy. And please just, you know... Give my therapist, you know, chocolates if you see them. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing about Eric Hosmer. He's 33 years old. He had a 1.1 baseball reference war in 2022, which is only 0.3 less than Ryan Mountcastle, and he played 41 fewer games. So I'm going to bring back this word here, Brendan, but extrapolate. You extrapolate that 1.1 war. It's a big word. For Eric Hosmer, and it's roughly the same. He was providing roughly the same value as Ryan Mountcastle was last year, okay? Eric Hosmer had a higher OPS plus than Ryan Mountcastle did this year. But look, I'm not saying sign Eric Hosmer and bench Ryan Mountcastle. No. I'm not saying Eric Hosmer deserves more playing time than Ryan Mountcastle, but the Padres are paying his entire contract, which means the only thing that you'd be on the hook for in 2023 is the league minimum salary. That's all you have to pay him at that point. He is a lefty who can platoon with Ryan Mountcastle, not take away time from Ryan Mountcastle, but if Mountcastle needs a day off, he can DH. He can do a bunch of different things for you. I know he's not great defensively, but that doesn't take away his offensive value, what he brings to the team. Let's say Ryan Mountcastle, knock on wood, let's hope this doesn't happen. Let's say Mountcastle goes down with injury. Who's your backup first baseman? The Orioles just designated Lewin Diaz for assignment. Franchi Cordero, come on down. Tyler Nevin, Franchi, come on down. I'm glad you brought up Franchi Cordero, who has negative four defensive runs saved in 362 innings with Boston last year. Tyler Nevin. He was a worst defensive player at first base, and he signed to a minor league deal. Tyler Nevin has negative .4 baseball reference war in 64 career games. He's a career 205 hitter. Uh, Anthony Santander has zero career games at first base. That Adley random Rutschman guy they signed in career, AAA. Has zero career games in, in who's, the big leagues. Whose name am I base. forgetting? You know whose name I'm forgetting. The Nomar Mazzara? Not him, but maybe Nomar Mazzara. Karen Vavra has zero career big league games or minor league games at first base. Josh Lester. Josh Lester is That's a, who I was thinking of. Signed to a minor league deal. Yeah. Kyle Sowers has zero career minor or major league innings at first base. 
Who is playing in Brian Mountcastle's stead at first base if he goes down with an injury? Who? Jesus Aguilar. Jesus Aguilar, you bringing him back? The point being, you could do a lot worse than Eric Hosmer as your backup first baseman. I know it's not a position of need per se. I'm just saying, if you have to pay him the league minimum salary and he wants to come here to be your occasional DH and backup first baseman, his left-handed swing would fit awfully well at Camden Yards. It's not that crazy. It's not. It's it's a good take, but it is funny. Why why were people so upset by this? Uh, well, I'll tell you why, because the YouTube comment we just got, I think explains all of it, is we hate we, anyone who is part of the 2014 Royals. Uh, which, I to- which I get, and sure. I saw that. And there have also been... I know those wounds are still fresh, even though they were eight years ago. There there have been some reports with Eric Hosmer that he is not the loveliest guy in the clubhouse. If, if he is a clubhouse issue and you do your research on it and you determine he's not worth it... Then don't sign him. Then don't sign him. But... Go for it. As, I'm not saying they have to sign this guy. As a baseball player, if you take away whatever reports there may have been about how he is in the clubhouse and your feelings surrounding the 2014 Royals, he is a backup left-handed hitting first baseman who you'd get pretty much for free. Yeah. And despite his downfalls defensively, you're not paying him anything. No. So he would just be a decent backup first base option who can maybe occasionally DH. I would also understand the argument if you would rather DH Kyle Stowers over Eric Hosmer. But again, you could bring in Eric Hosmer for no money. So it's not like you have to start Kyle Stowers at DH and he's lighting the world on fire, but you say, ah, we're paying Eric Hosmer $10 million. He's got to be our DH. You're not paying him $10 million. You're hardly paying him anything. And he would be a good backup option. Yep. I don't know who else you could sign as well that would be a better player for that role right now. Michael Brantley's off the market. We talked about him potentially. I mean, Brandon Belt maybe, but he's coming off a very down year and is a couple years older than Eric Hosmer. Matt Carpenter already signed yesterday, two years, $12 million, I believe, with the Padres. Yuli Gurriel, but he's a righty. I mean, Harold Castro is 29 years old. That may be an option that they go down. I don't know who else you could sign who, by the way, would cost more money. A lot of those guys that I just mentioned have cost more money or will cost more money that would provide as much value as Eric Hosmer would. Yeah, and again, maybe you're just fine with Franchi Cordero. I understand kind of the theoretical upside there. And back up first base, Michael Elias has said, is not a massive area of need because it's just, quite frankly, not a position that you need a lot of playing time from because first base is not a very strenuous position in terms of needing guys to get an off day if they don't want to play first. We saw Ryan Mountcastle go off of first a lot last year because he was rotating with Trey Mancini and you want to get Trey Mancini fresh reps, whatever it might be. I don't think you're going to need a backup first baseman for a ton of games, but it's got to be somebody. You, you need somebody on the roster who can play backup first base. And maybe it's just Anthony Santander, and he does it for, like, 20 games. Or right. maybe it's somebody else that you... I mean, Adam Frazier could probably play first base, whoever it might be. And yeah, there's You a, can figure it out, but Eric Hosmer would still be an upgrade. There's a chance that the Orioles have given Anthony Santander the homework this offseason of go learn first base. Because yeah. they tried him at first base in warm-ups... And in batting practice last year, taking grounders and such, we never saw it in a game. But maybe the Orioles are training somebody to be a backup first baseman. I get that. 
But as of right now, Santander has played zero games at first base. Yeah, and you just Favre lost an option with Lewin Diaz. With Lewin Diaz. Jesus Aguilar was your backup first baseman for the second half of the year. Mountcastle has been relatively healthy in his first couple of years in the big leagues, but he did miss a portion of the 2021 season, in which case the Orioles lost a very powerful bat from their lineup. So that's not a situation you want to be in, again, if you want to compete in this division. Yeah. You have to have a backup first baseman. And there's not really a first base option banging down the door at AAA. There's almost right no first base depth in this Orioles minor league system. No, I mean, you could... Good problem. That's an okay problem to have. Maybe count Kobe Mayo if he just continues to kind of get bigger and outgrow third base, but he hasn't done that so far. We always said it about Gunnar Henderson. Kobe Mayo has played two games at first base in the minor leagues. Yeah. Two. Wait, I mean, we see him getting a lot of reps there, but he's not a first baseman. Guys like T.T. Bowens and Jacob Teeter are pretty far away. Andrew Dashball hasn't really shown you much. Nope. Right? There's just not a lot of first base options. Adley Rutschman was used in the minor leagues at first base, but he might be a gold glove caliber catcher next year. You really want to use that guy yeah, at so first base maybe if he's going to be in the field? Put Adley at first, D.H. Mountcastle, and backup catcher catches a game at that point, but that it's not really a position you want to be in. And to me, you want to use Adley behind the plate. I mean, if you're going right. to, you're either taking giving him a day off his feet and DHing him, or he's going to be behind the plate. I don't think it really benefits anybody to have him play first base. Yeah. Unless it's a break glass in case of emergency situation. Right. All right. Any other, am I getting roasted by anybody else, Brendan? Oh, comments? yeah. No, somebody said awful take. <laughs> Great. Well, I feel like I've sufficiently defended it, Brendan. Well, it makes sense. It's just, it's funny. It is very funny. And I enjoyed it a lot. And you know, I hope it happens again. While I'm on a roll here, Brendan. We, <laughs> is this what our, you call a roll? <laughs> on our last podcast, we used the term, uh, as much as the next guy, quite a lot. What does that even mean? As much as the next guy. Okay, I'll go ahead and call myself out for that. The next guy is in the guy who's standing next to me. I said, like, I like Kyle Stowers as much as the next guy. Is the next I think guy, it just means like as much as a person who likes Kyle Stowers would like <laughs> Kyle Stowers. But who is this next guy? And he's theoretical. Is he the guy standing next? He's a Schrodinger's. He's guy? a Schrodinger's guy just, next. Where to. does he exist? I mean, and he exists in the smudge. So what if the next guy doesn't like Kyle Stowers? Well, I th I think the next guy would be. I think he has the prerequisite of liking Kyle Stowers, and I think you are why well, how do we know Kyle Stowers. But I'm saying I think that is the prereq for the expression. I think if you're saying I like Kyle Stowers as much as the next guy, I think you are then assuming that the next guy likes Kyle Stowers and you thus like Kyle Stowers as much as that guy likes Kyle Stowers. I understand what the expression means. I'm asking who the guy is. You lost me there. <laughs> I I thought you were saying I'm calling myself out for this expression that I don't understand. I think, I no, I, I, I understand it. I just don't know... Who the next guy refers to? Where did this phrase originate? I think he is the conglomeration of all guys. I think he's the average guy. Okay, so do we like Kyle Stowers more than the average guy? Because I well, don't know how a, much that's a different thing. I don't know how much the average guy likes Kyle Stowers. I don't think the average guy knows who Kyle Stowers is. I'm sorry, Kyle, but if you take all guys on the the planet, I don't think they know. Who, <laughs> Look, that's a lot of guys. It's too many guys. Yeah. Uh, it's we. If somebody could get to the bottom of this phrase for me, that'd be. That'd be great. Anyway, want to pick teams? Let's pick teams to do <laughs> trades. You Let's get you off of this topic. So first. if you did not see our podcast last year, which you should have, 
I mean, I would say you can go back and watch it, but it probably wouldn't make any sense now. Essentially, what we did last year was Paul and I will each pick three teams from this jar, and we will have to create trade scenarios with these three teams. And we will be doing this on our next podcast. We will have to prepare with the caveat these team trades. That if the Orioles make a major signing, we'll probably And I'm hoping that. that I get the Twins because I have already thrown out a signing or a trade regarding the Twins. And I think I know who they're And my first selection is the Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays. The Orioles love making trades with the Rays. Brett Phillips, welcome back. <laughs> I don't think he's even there. You no, know, I don't think so either. I think he's a free agent. Brendan, I'm going to take far less time and pick my first team, and it's the Tigers. Yeah, but I'm doing it for dramatic effect, and I think the people appreciate it. Okay, I don't know about that. Well, You're maybe. picking your second team. I am picking my Talk second through this. team the audio for those listening on Spotify. My hand is rustling through this jar. My second team. The Rangers. By the way, can we talk about the production? Jacob DeGrom, welcome to Baltimore. <laughs> can we talk about the production value? Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, welcome to Baltimore. The production value here, me cutting out all these pieces of paper. with the it's, it's no good whiteboard, but, you know. Some good handwriting jar provided by me. I picked out another team. It's the Boston Red Sox. Oh, Raphael Devers, <laughs> welcome to Baltimore. Your third and final Third and team. final team. As I pick one for our listeners on Spotify, my hand is stuck. To be clear, this has 29 pieces of paper, not 30. I didn't have the Orioles trading with themselves. That would have been cool. My final team, the Padres. Ooh. Manny Machado, welcome Manny home. Machado, who could be in his final year with the Padres if he opts out. Fernando Tatis, welcome. And my final team, the Miami Marlins. Another Ooh. team that the Orioles love making deals with. The Richard Blyer good. deal. That one the is Miami Marlins deal. good. Cole Solcer, Tanner Scott deal was with the Marlins. Yeah. All right, so my three teams, Brendan, are the Detroit Tigers, the Boston Red Sox, and the Miami Marlins. And I have the Tampa Bay Disney World Rays, <laughs> Texas Rangers, San Diego Padres. Unless the Orioles make a major signing in the next week, we will have fake trades with these six teams. And Let's then they will become real. Michael Elias will come, and he will select one of these trades to actually do. Yep. It's he won't. But that would be fun. That would, I, it's going to be like an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He can't know the trade until he points to it. And then he's got to make whatever trade right. he picked. He has to. Those are the rules those that are, we've established. Those are the rules. Thanks so much for tuning into the Mass and All Access podcast. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. And, of course, you can watch live on YouTube and Facebook every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Or listen to it after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Please give us five stars, a thumbs up. And a review. Brandon, are you laughing at a comment? I'm laughing at a comment that says this show is officially off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I think it was off the rails since we started. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. We will be back next week. Everybody, please have a enjoyable, safe, good time with your families and friends uh, this holiday season. And uh, hopefully you get those last couple Christmas presents because I am still uh, scrambling. Yeah. A couple, couple more in the list. Yep. I'm going directly from here to uh That's to a good mall. call. Uh <laughs> and of course, the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places. See you next time.